Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hoosier State Happenings. I'm Adam, and I'm here as always with Joey. Joey, how are you doing today? Doing good, Adam. Looking forward to these conversations as normal. Certainly. So today we'll just go ahead and jump right in and give everyone a quick preview. But first thing I want to talk about is the Indiana Fever this week. So jumping right into that, they only played one game this past week, which was, believe it or not, the same night we recorded the podcast last week. And so I'm sure the outcome of that game is not a surprise to anyone at this point as they lost their eighth straight game in a row, which now ties them for the league's worst record. And while they played tonight, they did start a trend in that game. So obviously the first trend was that Aaliyah Boston finally went back to being herself. So she had a game of 23 points with nine rebounds. But there's two other stories in this game where overtime was forced before a 95-87 to loss. So the first big story is that Grace Berger got significant minutes. So before this game they played on Tuesday, her season high was only 15 minutes. So in 36 minutes, she had 15 points on – I'm sorry. My notes randomly got out on me. There we go. She had 15 points with seven rebounds, four assists, and three steals. So – Obviously, we'll talk about why I'm not happier about that in a second. But while the playing time is there, the other big story is that other point guard, Lexi Hole, is also now out with a broken nose. So I don't know how long a broken nose forces an injury. I know that Rip Hamilton used to play with a mask on his face in the NBA, and he would play with one. But I know a lot of people take it seriously and kind of shut down for a little bit. So... that opens up opportunities for Grace Berger to take the floor. But my big question here is that Grace Berger shot for four for 15. So a 31.3% shooting percentage. Do you see a concern with that given her overall stat line? And then should she get more minutes moving forward? Maybe a little bit of a concern, but it's important to remember she hasn't gotten much playing time before this. So, As far as the shooting struggles, I would just chop that up as inconsistent playing time. And I do think that's something she can improve on. But you look at her stat line, she's contributing in other ways. You mentioned seven rebounds, four assists, three steals. So there's ways outside of shooting that she can help the team. And for that reason, I do do see a a reason for her to get more playing time. I remember it was probably like two or three weeks ago, there was a sponsored post on my Facebook, oddly enough about the fever trying to sell tickets and they had a picture of grace Berger on it. And one of the comments on that was, why are you using her picture? You guys never play her. So I know for a fact that a number of the fan base, obviously a lot of IU Hoosier fans also are wanting her to get more playing time. And given the stat line, I think she deserves it. Well, and I, I would say I have to echo your sentiment on that. I do obviously, like you said, see the concern just because of a lack of consistency with getting the chance to shoot the ball, but it wasn't like she was a high shooter and that's what got her drafted. She got drafted because of everything else she brings to the game. So, you know, I mean, seven rebounds for a point guard is oddly enough quite a bit considering she's a bit smaller for that position than maybe some others on the team. But, you know, then she contributed three steals on top of that. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, we talked about games where she was at IU where she was just getting block after block 
She was coming in and getting steals. She was giving a lot of assists. Maybe not the points, but, you know, this is just my personal belief is I think point guards are more meant to be facilitators of the game, not to be the guy that is the number one option. So when you kind of look at what she's able to do, she's getting, you know, the ball for her teammates. So I would say for me, that's a good reason to have her playing moving forward. But again, with this opportunity, I mean, she really did step forward and really put herself in a position of, you know, being able to help this team. Now, I don't mean help the team by winning. Let's let's not get confused on what I think we both agree on needs to happen concerning next year's draft. And oh, obviously, yes, absolutely, we won't say that out loud because, you know, that gets people in trouble. But <clears throat> I think overall, you know, the Fever have lost eight straight games. At this point, there's also nothing more that they can do with the starting lineup they have. So they might as well start tinkering with it even if it leads to losses but you know we talked about it in previous weeks as well and I think overall they're not trying to win this season I think it's as clear as day but you watch next season they'll come out and they'll start really putting up some better numbers and I think that will ultimately be with Grace Berger as the starter so I do think that this is the beginning of her transition into the starting lineup yeah, I couldn't have said that any better myself. So, moving right along here, I know that you this week found all the notes for the baseball updates. I mean, I'll be very honest with all the viewers. There was really not a lot of press this week, and I I tried searching everywhere. And so it just kind of fit naturally with the All-Star break for baseball ending and the teams coming back. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've talked about it, but we're going to talk about the Indians who have actually – started to maybe make a little bit more noise. So, Joel, I'll have you take that away for us. All right. So, as Adam said, we'll start with the Indianapolis Indians, and then here in a minute we'll get into the Fort Wayne 10 caps. But currently the Indians set at a 42-49 and 49 record, which puts them in seventh place in the International League West, which is the conference they're in. And that puts them 12 and a half games behind the first-place team, which is the Iowa Cubs. Ooh. So. As Adam mentioned, starting to make a lot of noise, but there's definitely still a lot of work to be done if they hope to make a late-season push for that postseason. But there is one thing, and it's one of those deals where you can't help but be happy for the guy, but it kind of hurts for the Indians. They have some pretty big shoes to fill, or maybe we should say an arm to fill in their starting rotation. So right-handed pitcher Quinn Priester officially got his call up to Pittsburgh for the Pirates, and he made his first start in the big leagues on Monday. So... Priester, who was the Pirates' first-round draft pick in 2019, he's been a staple this year in the Indians' rotation. And in the the farm system, Priester is listed as the Pirates' number four overall prospect. And according to MLB.com, he's the number 50 overall pros- prospect across the league. To this point in the season, Priest- Priester had pitched in 18 games, he posted a record of seven and three with the four three one ERA. So definitely a little bit, little bit of a loss for the Indians. And like I said, obviously, wish nothing but the best for Priester. Hopefully, you know he gets there and he's able to stay there and fulfill that lifelong dream of his. But doesn't change the fact that it's a big loss for the Indians. Yeah, and you know uh, I was looking up his statistics on Fan Tracks as well, which you know is another site that I like to use just because I play a lot of fantasy baseball and deal with prospects like him. But, you know, 
this is a 22-year-old getting a call up to the major league. So the Pirates are kind of getting to the point where maybe some of their older pitching options like Rich Hill and a few of the other guys that are just kind of, you know, hand-me-down starting pitchers, it's time to kind of move them out because Pittsburgh has been competitive in the MLB this year, which, like the Reds, is as much of a surprise as anything else. So, again, I think you're looking at finding a way to better the team at this point, and certainly, you know, Priester is a quality guy to do that. Again, that 4.31 ERA is a little higher than you'd want, but I'm not going to call it an overwhelming concern considering, you know, he is basically facing a lot of MLB-ready type of players, you know, players that are, you know, getting ready to take that next step. So certainly this is a big win for Pittsburgh. It is a loss for the Indians who actually, as I mentioned before, when we last checked in with them, they were 32 and four or in 39, I believe. So they were seven games under. I mean, they're basically 500 their last 10 games. So they are staying, you know, above what they were performing before. So it is a better record. But I will say, I guess my only concern, you know, with losing a starting pitcher like this is this just continues to push them back just a little bit further. But in a couple more weeks, we'll kind of report back right before the fantasy baseball season ends because that's pretty much in the midst of when the playoffs start. But for now, we'll turn it over to your local team that's closer to you of the Fort Wayne 10 caps. So what do you have on the Fort Wayne 10 caps for us? Yeah, so this conversation will be a little bit different just because the the rules for double A and below operate a little differently than triple A as far as standings and everything goes. So being the high A affiliate for the Padres, the 10 caps record has actually reset since the midway point of the season, meaning they went back to zero and zero. And I know that's kind of confusing, so I'll break that down a little bit more. So <clears throat> in the Midwest League, which is obviously where the 10 caps play, is made up of two conferences, and that's the Midwest East and the Midwest West. And the way the rules are written, Adam, a total of four teams will make the Midwest League postseason. That's it, four teams. And it's it's as simple as this. The team with the best record of the first half of the season in each conference clinches a spot, meaning there's already been two teams that have clinched a postseason spot as absurd as that count or as, as absurd as that sounds. And then obviously the same for the second half of the season. The two teams who win their conferences clinch that third and fourth spot. Now, if the same team has the best record in both halves, then the second place finisher in that conference in the second half would clinch the spot. That's how you get the four spots in in the postseason. So now let's kind of take a look at where the 10 caps stand in all of this. So the 10 caps finished second place in the East conference, sorry, West conference in the first half, meaning they have not yet secured one of those four spots. But since the standings have reset, the 10 caps are 13 and seven, which actually puts them currently in first place in the West conference for the second half of the season. Now the great lakes loons are the team that won the conference in the first half. And they're currently in second place behind the 10 caps. So all this to be said, the 10 cap, if the 10 caps want to secure one of those four spots, they either have to win the conference, which as I said, they currently set in first place or finish second only to the looms who won it in the first half. And that would also get the 10 caps in. So that's just a real quick recap of where the 10 caps set as we start to get later in the stages of the season. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, one thing that 
they may have that's not going to really help them either, kind of like Quinn Priester, is that they just lost out on top shortstop or shortstop prospect Jackson Merrill to double A Altoona. So that's a pretty big low for them because he's rated in the top 20 of all the MLB prospects, but he's had over a 300 average with them and eight home runs, almost 40 RBIs. So, you know, in like 50 games or something it was. So, you know, those numbers are pretty substantial considering, but again, you know, their, their next part of the season is going to be a little harder because of that. But I want to get your take though on those playoff standings and how they work. I mean, it just, I guess, kind of baffles me that the records restart. And yeah, it, it was a real weird concept for me too. And I spent part of last night while I was at work and this morning researching it just so I could hopefully put it into words. And I don't know how well I explained it because the whole thing of reading, processing, and like taking notes on it is kind of weird in my head. But I think it's an interesting <clears throat> way to do it. I think it's weird that at the halfway point, you've already got two teams that's already clinched that spot kind of makes you think, what are they playing for in the second half other than, you know, getting better. But on the other hand, it's kind of interesting too, you know, for the 10 caps, at least they know at the very worst, they can finish second as long as the only team that beats them is the loons, as I mentioned earlier. So it's kind of interesting to see maybe strategy wise, obviously they're going to be rooting for the loons pretty much every week because who cares if they jump them in the standings, but I think really it's an interesting format how they do it. What do you think about it? I mean, I guess in one way, the the best way I could think about it, just based off of what I've heard, is like with what NASCAR does for their races where, you know, if you win a race, you're in the playoff, which I know this is, you know, we're comparing apples to oranges here. But, you know, in terms of best record and highest points, it's kind of like that where, you know, whoever kind of comes in and jumps in and seeks the opportunities to do well, those teams perform well, and then everyone else kind of starts over. So with, you know, with NASCAR, it is, it's, you know, the drivers that have the wins get in, in the top 16, and then whoever is left, it's based off of the points that they've earned compared to the, to the winners of races. So uh, it's a bit of a weird dynamic, but I guess the way I could look at that is, you know, they are doing better in terms of getting, you know, I guess their teams, the opportunity to succeed. And, right. you know, it'll and be interesting I, to see I was what they reading do. that this whole format kind of took place back in the pandemic or post pandemic. And originally it was just two teams that made it. And I'm not sure how they worked it then, but I do like that they've moved it up to four teams in this league anyways, but Like I said, I just thought that was pretty interesting. But before we do wrap up, Adam, I do have one thing that we don't have on our notes, but I just saw on Facebook earlier. Unless you have anything else on baseball before I change the subject. No. So I don't know if you saw this, but the Colts actually released a video on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. And it was like a teaser for an announcement that's coming tomorrow at 10 a.m. And in this video, they have the silhouette of two players and what everybody's assuming is an alternate jersey or a different throwback jersey or something like that. I just wanted to get your take on what do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be a different style of throwback? Do you think they're going to release an alternate? And then number two, what are your thoughts on maybe switching it up? Because I know out of all the teams in the league, the Colts are kind of 
one of the only teams that are really, really strong on tradition. And that's why you really haven't seen a whole lot of change in their jerseys over the years. Well, I'll start with what I am speculating. My guess is I've heard conversations about like the 1956 jersey and that that's what they're going to bring back. I don't know why. And I apologize to Colts fans everywhere. And maybe you can enlighten me because I don't know. I don't know why 1956 is significant, but I do speculate that there will be a variation of the uniform in terms of that appearance. So I'm sure we'll see like the old Colts logo on there. I'm sure we'll see like a, I'm going to kind of say a lighter blue, maybe not like the darker blue of previous seasons. And then obviously, you know, probably a retro number design and then, you know, whatever pants in the old days looked like, they might do some variation of that. But um, to your second point about tradition, I don't really think this changes anything for the Colts. I know for years there's been like rules. I was reading about this earlier about the throwback jerseys and why teams weren't allowed to wear them. But I think for most games, the Colts will continue to wear their traditional, you know, stuff. And I don't see the Colts changing that anytime soon. You know, I think, you know, for me as a Colts fan, yes, I need to get a new Jersey because T Y Hilton's a little outdated now, but I, I don't know about other people, but I, I guess it would weird me out that it's like, Oh, we're going to change the entire style of the Jersey. And you know what people will do. It's like, Oh, I have to have the most up to date type of look. So, you know, I, I think ultimately they keep it. I don't think they want to kind of mess up the fan base, but you know, Tradition is important to the city, and I certainly don't see them steering away from that. Well, here's my thoughts. And first off, I'll just let you in on this. The 1956 throwback uniforms are the same throwbacks they've worn the last couple of years. So unless it's a different variation of that, I I couldn't see this little snippet or whatever you want to call it being something that's alluding to those jerseys again. But what I will say, and I do agree with the Colts in the sense that Tradition means a lot, and I do think that their jerseys, you know, that that blue, that Colts blue is something that should be a staple, you know, for as long as the franchise exists. But with that being said, I do not mind the idea of an alternate jersey. You see teams all around the league going to it, even if it's only one or two games a year where you throw them on at home, and I'm really hoping, and I think everyone else is, we get some kind of black jersey with white and blue numbers and letterings i mean for years we've been seeing like mock-ups of what that would look like and i just think that with the new reg- regime you know the new coach young coach at that anthony richards come richardson coming in i think it's past time for a little bit of a switch up and again i want to throw this out there not a permanent change but just some kind of alternate jersey that you could throw on maybe once or twice a year i could maybe see that looking at maybe some of their more significant games I feel like, you know, when you are doing all of that, you draw in those crowds. But one thing I don't want, you know, people to lose track of either is, you know, the NFL does a lot of sponsoring for like, you know, certain traditions like, you know, the camo that the coaches get to wear. I know that some teams kind of embrace that with part of their uniforms and their cleats, obviously. I know that there's like the pride stuff that people do. And I, and I say that in the sense of there's like a multicolored thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I, I, I can catch. imagine it. Thank you. That's what it is. Yeah. So I know that they do crucial catch. And then obviously, you know, there's variations that we've seen the uniforms in before, like the double horseshoes on the back. 
in the really dark blue. I mean, yeah, and that that the one you just alluded <clears throat> to was the 1956 throwbacks that they've been wearing the last couple seasons. Well, maybe it's a bit of a lighter. Like I'm saying, they're like what I'm imagining is going to be like a lighter blue than what the jerseys are now and what the throwbacks are. I'm not. I'm not thinking like a navy or anything close to that. I'm kind of thinking, and I won't say cerulean because that's not what comes to mind. But like a regular blue, maybe not quite sky blue, but a little bit darker, but a little bit lighter than a standard blue. Somewhere in the middle of that. I I know I've seen throwback jerseys that are that type of color. I mean, I can picture it, but it's like I can't describe it if you know what I mean. So, but yeah, I I do see a lighter variation coming. I do see that old horseshoe logo kind of appearing where it's like the guy on the horse. You know, that that's just my my image. Well so I, th- I think they're gonna go all out and throw it back. Well, and obviously we're recording and posting this on a Wednesday. That teaser was released today on Wednesday, and they're saying tomorrow at ten AM they will have whatever it is for us. Maybe it's something minor or maybe it's something as exciting as an alternate jersey, but it will be out tomorrow on Thursday at ten AM. So I'm looking forward to finding out what it is, and I know Adam you're looking forward to it. And if it's important enough, we might even have to cover something on it on the website. And if not, we'd at least put something on our social media pages on our thoughts on it. But yeah, I don't certainly. have anything else this week, Adam. I'm going to toss the mic back over to you to see if you do. If not, then we can move forward with signing off or however you want to do it. Well, one minor thing, because we started talking about NASCAR, it got me curious about when the race in Indianapolis is. And so uh, Joey, as I'm sure you have at least some knowledge of, the race traditionally for most years has been 400 miles. So it's a two and a half mile track. They race 160 laps. But according to what I'm reading on NASCAR's website, it's only going to be a 200 mile road course race this year. So what do you think about like the idea of them deviating from tradition where it's you know just the loop? They'll be racing in the middle of the track and, and whatnot as well. Uh, as far as tradition goes, I don't really have a horse in the race, pun intended, as far as NASCAR goes. So I, that part really doesn't bug me. But I will tell you from experience, I've never really enjoyed watching road course races. I understand it's a lot more intricate than, you know, an oval. And I know in an oval, they're just going in circles. But when you talk about the top speeds and all of that, they go a lot slower on these road courses. And for some, as somebody who already has a hard enough time you know, maintaining my attention when I'm watching a race road courses to me kind of somewhat get boring to me. So for that reason, I wish that wasn't the case, but at the same time, I understand the appeal for those, for some people about the road course races. What are your thoughts? Well, I would have to say, I kind of agree with that. I I think when you watch NASCAR, there is that essence of speed. I I get that there's a strategy that comes into it and you, and you want that, but I guess my problem with this is that it is the shortest race in NASCAR schedule for the year. It's the only 200 mile race. And, you know, for a track that, you know, is two and a half mile long, fine. I I, I get maybe not doing a 400 mile race because, you know, a lot of the track can't be seen. And I think this is maybe something to give viewers and fans that go to those races a better shot. But, I mean, Indianapolis is one of the premier tracks in all of racing, and it's the biggest track in all of racing in general. And yet, I feel like there's some disrespect being thrown its way. Maybe I'm a little biased because, you know, of my indie roots. But 
I just, I don't know. Like you said, I, I can't really get behind it. And the fact that it's the shortest race, I'm probably not going to get behind that much either. But I know certainly, you know, there's certain guys that are on the way to retirement. And I don't, I mean, you know, for years I've been a closet, you know, Kevin Harvick fan. And he does not have a win this season. And I'm hoping, just hoping, that he can come to Indy and get one final one before he rides off into the sunset. But again, like I said, you know, any race that a new racer wins, they make it into the playoffs. So it'll make it interesting if that is the case. But with the way it's looking, Jeff Gordon's replacement, Will Byron, will probably be the winner of that race. Well, and just one more tidbit on this. I just looked it up, and the Verizon 200 at the Brickyard is what it's known as now. And that officially took the place of the Brickyard 400 in 2021. So this is, what, the second or third year now that it's been on the road course instead of the Speedway itself. So just throw that little tidbit out there while we're on the subject. Well, and like you were saying earlier, you know, with the with the way that (coughs) baseball was running with COVID in Fort Wayne, I kind of wonder if this is kind of, you know, still effects of all of that as well. But I know that I... I could see, you know, maybe fans getting behind that more. But to be fair to NASCAR, it's not as big of a deal when NASCAR comes to town versus NASCAR. You know, anybody and everybody is trying to go to those IndyCar races. But, you know, the NASCAR race is not so much. And, I mean, you're not fitting 200,000. I mean, you're not getting 200,000 people to go to those races in Indy either. Right. But that's it. That's all I have for this week, unless you have anything else you want to wrap up with. Nope, I think I'm pretty content as well. Well, I guess that is where we sign off then. So until next week, I'm Adam. And I am Joey. And we hope you have a good week. And God bless. See you next week.